Good evening. Welcome to Noir November of the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Hands-free. And I have to emphasize Noir November. Noir. It was this time, probably, was it this time a year ago? It was sometime in November that I talked to Jason Almy of Shit Happens When You Party Naked, who is also a film expert. And then I have another friend. I'm going to, we're going to set something up and get her on the show. She also studied film. Film is this beautiful expression. And it's been around since 1896. And I know that because in the 1990s, the American Film Institute put out 100 years, 100 movies. From 1896 to 1996. Now, there are a few omissions on that list that are... Well, very plain to see. There's not a lot of films about diversity. There's not a lot of people of color in the films. There's maybe a few foreign films. And I stress that because film is universal. If you think of the people who built Hollywood in the early days, they were all from other countries. United Artists. Come on, Charlie Chaplin. He was from England. Mary Pickford was from Canada. In fact, a lot of stars were from Canada. Marie Dressler. Walter Houston, whose son, John Houston, will become this iconic and enigmatic director of such films as The Maltese Falcon, The African Queen, The Misfits. As I say, such films, of course, I think of the late Phil Hartman, who did Troy McClure on The Simpsons. These films really, they live forever. They live forever. Long after the men and women who made them are gone, such as John Huston, such as... Uh, David Lean. David Lean, who was such a iconic director. You want to talk about films that really made a difference? David Lean did Bridge Over the River Kwai. He did Great Expectations. Of course, Lawrence of Arabia. And one of my favorites, Dr. Zhivago. And in that, there is this beautiful form of diversity. Because who is playing Yuri Zhivago? The Egyptian-born Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif Jr., who is the grandson of Omar Sharif, is a, a actor in his own right, but shares that distinction, shares that name with his grandfather. And then Omar Sharif Jr. is of, of he's gay. He's of the LGBT. And he is Canadian. So, yeah, I've talked about this before because I have a big Canadian audience. I also noticed the other day I have a big German audience, probably because I studied German German expressionism. And the film industry, you think about those great silent films by Fritz Lang and um, Joseph von Sternberg and Marlene Dietrich. German expressionism is at the forefront of early film. In fact, Alfred Hitchcock traveled to Germany to study German Expressionism, and that's where he met his wife, Alma Reville. So it was a big hub 
artistically. And so I try to stress that when when we talk about films and I've noticed that a lot of people have this the sediment that they don't want to watch the film if it's in another language unless it's been dubbed. They don't want to read the subtitles, which is very unfortunate because this is this is film. Film is international. Or I've known people who remain nameless who go to the bathroom when watching the Oscars when the uh, foreign film category comes up. It's important. Just because they don't speak the same language as you, but they speak the language of film. And film is a very universal thing. I've watched so many beautiful films with the subtitles, I refuse to watch them dubbed. I made that mistake 20 years ago trying to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it was dubbed, and I just couldn't enjoy it. And one of these days, I will watch it again with the subtitles. The first film that I really can remember watching with the subtitles was La Femme Nakita. And it was a French film. And I watched it, and I loved it. And it had this action. And in fact, one of the actors in La Femme Nakita was in Taking Lives with Angelina Jolie. So, yeah, it was amazing. In 2020, and I've talked about this on March 13th, Friday the 13th, I probably watched a film that forever changed how I looked at films, and that was Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, which is in Swedish. If they were to dub it, I would not watch it. I just wouldn't. Because for me, that takes away the authenticity of how they intended that film to be shown. With the Swedish subtitles. Now, Igmar Bergman, I don't think he ever made a film in English. The one film that I can think of, where parts of it are in in English, is Autumn Sonata with Ingrid Bergman and Liv Ullman. So, and, and that right there, you know, I've talked about this these wonderful stars they were from Sweden and Germany and Scotland and England and uh, these I mean I recently saw something on uh, Deborah Carr Deborah Carr was from Great Britain I thought I thought she was Scottish but she wasn't she I believe was Welsh or I could be wrong please correct me a lot of the great actors were from Europe. Charlie Chaplin was from Europe. Liv Ullman. Marlene Dietrich. Louise Reiner. Louise Reiner. I don't want to overemphasize. Yeah. Greta Garbo. Greta Garbo really... is one of those... uh, I was watching Turner Classic Movies and Jacqueline Stewart, who is a she is a professor of film studies. She hosts Silent Sundays on Turner Classic Movies. And I loved how she talked about Greta Garbo and how Greta Garbo was one of the one of the greats when it came to silent films and then went on to have a long career with sound films, the talkies, as we called them. But the silent films 
That's where Greta Garbo became this icon. She worked her way up into and 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 at that point didn't I I think she was just learning English. And so those those silent films, the silent films are interesting because anyone and everyone could do them. And then the talkies came and the industry, like always, scrambles. It's like, what are we going to do? They did that, of course, with streaming technology, digital technology. What are we going to do? Well, that happened in 1928 with Al Jolson and the jazz singer. What are we going to do? That's what that's what was on everyone's lips. What are we going to do? And they had to evolve. Okay, we are going to do sound films now. How are we going to do that? And then they've discovered that a lot of the silent actors didn't have the voice, shall we say, shall we say for talkies. So then, what do they do? Greta, Gar- Greta Garbo had never spoken before Anna Christie on film. Everyone had seen her. She had that face, the way she was lit, and her expressions. That's, that's how Greta Garbo became a star. And then the talkies. And Garbo talks. That was, in fact, that was the first tagline. Her films always had these taglines. Garbo talks. Garbo laughs. In the film, Nanochka. But Garbo talks, and the first word she said was, Give me whiskey, baby. Or give me whiskey with soda. And don't be stingy, baby. I don't say it like Garbo, because Garbo... Garbo, you know, she had a very interesting accent. And she'd been studying. And then you have Marlena Dietrich. Marlena Dietrich, who... I I pause because... She at first was judged for her beauty. And not for her range. And then people really, as they got to know her on screen... Discovered that she had this range. Her eyes, her voice... For comedy, for drama. In the 1950s, Marlena Dietrich did Witness for the Prosecution with Charles Lawton and Elsa Lanchester, directed by Billy um, Wilder. She was so good that there was talk in the industry that she should get nominated, and she didn't. Because they didn't know whether to put her in supporting or lead. She had once been nominated before for the film Morocco. Directed by her friend and collaborator, Joseph von Sternberg. In fact, it was Joseph von Sternberg who convinced her to leave Germany. Well, she had already set that in her mind. Because what had happened was Hitler and the Third Reich... And Emil Jennings, I've talked about this before, said, oh, sure, I'll be in your films. And Marlena Dietrich was like, "Uh uh-uh, and became an American citizen. And I believe it's, is it this month? Or I think it's next month that her daughter, her daughter is still with us, Maria Riva, who has written some really great books on her mother, Marlena Dietrich. So, 
we have that. And whenever people talk about the USO and talk about Dietrich, Dietrich did a lot. Not just in film, but you got to remember she okay she's originally german and she immigrate she basically becomes an american citizen and works for the uso because that that's what our country was about at that time was the morale it was like okay we got to make sure that we are fighting this war and we have reasons too i mean you have okay you have what's going on in the pacific and then you have what's going on in germany and in in, in the soviet union and and Italy and yeah but Marlene you know when Marlena Dietrich died nobody from Hollywood was really invited those who were invited were foreign dignitaries and uh, people who had worked with her during the war and, and that went on a lot and then you had like Betty Davis who worked for the Hollywood canteen to really support those during the Second World War. The Second World War, and we're going to dive into that in an episode, and, and it's supposed to be Noir November, but Noir, the Noir film industry, or it wasn't called Noir film until years later, really happened during the Second World War. Okay? And... I would be remiss if I don't mention Mr. Jimmy Stewart because we, you know, every every year for Christmas, what do we watch? We watch It's a Wonderful Life, and Frank Capra did something interesting. So Jimmy Stewart was a war veteran. He was in the Second World War. So a lot of that melancholy and a lot of that, I mean, you know. We call it now PTSD. Jimmy Stewart had and displayed it on film in his character in It's a Wonderful Life. And so you had that during this time. And then what was happening was film noir was taking shape during the 1940s. We could say that 80 years ago, The Maltese Falcon was one of the first film noirs. Maltese Falcon is such a great film directed by, I just mentioned him earlier, John Houston. And his father, Walter Houston, shows up with the Falcon himself, the bird, to wish his son luck. And then you have Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart, who is synonymous with film noir. Now, yes, some people would argue, well, The Big Sleep isn't film noir. Uh, it is. Key Largo is that film noir. It's along the lines. But film noir really. It, there's a richness to it. And it continued. And it continued. But see. It's either neo-noir. Because you have films like Chinatown. And then you have uh, Mulholland Drive. David Lynch, A lot of David Lynch's films. Are uh, along the lines of film noir. And then you have Devil in a Blue Dress with Denzel Washington. And I mention that because there were not a lot of people of color in film noir. And here you have Denzel Washington, leading man, with Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Mm. 
You know, Don Cheadle's career is very interesting. And he was so well noticed in Devil in a Blue Dress that many felt he should have been nominated, including Denzel Washington. So, yeah. Film noir had so many... First of all, it's all, it's all about mystery. It's all about the camera lighting. and It's mostly in black and white. You have films like Mildred, Mildred Pierce, which is such a great fucking film. Uh, released in 1945. Mm. Yeah, 76 years ago. And then you have the, the Postman Always Rings twice. So these films, these, these iconic films... And out of the past, out of the past with uh, Robert Mitchum, Robert Mitchum, who had that voice, and he had been in many a film noir. He was so smoldering, and he and and he had that look. There was there was a look, so much so in film noir that it was parodied, as I mentioned last year in the, in Living Color, where um, the character is in black and white, and she calls everyone Johnny, because that's a name. You know, most of the guys... Oh, Johnny, will you pick that bar up for me? Yeah. Now, another film that is synonymous with film noir, and that's Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity, and it's also so iconic because you got Fred McMurray and you have Barbara Stanwyck. Now, Barbara Stanwyck, many have over the years talked about how she really should have won an Oscar for Double Indemnity. Because of what she brought to that character. There were, there were so many shades within the character she was playing in Double Indemnity. And it is film noir. It's murder. It's intrigue. It's mystery. It's are they going to get away with it? Film. I, I just don't want to focus on one film. Because film noir, film noir is in so many films even today. The one film last year, when I immediately thought of film noir, I immediately thought of the the drag, girl with the dragon tattoo. And the way that is presented, and, da- and David Fincher's version, you've got David Fincher's version, and then you have um, the Swedish versions. But David Fincher's version is very, you know, David Fincher is all about the image of the film, the look and the feel of the film. And that really highlights the noir aspects of the girl with the dragon tattoo. And then Rooney Mara as Lisbeth Sandler and um, Daniel Craig as uh, Mikhail Blomquist. (laughs) There's so many, so many things going on in the girl with the dragon tattoo. That is along the lines of film noir. It's so beautifully presented. And it came out 10 years ago. And this year we're going to do a celebration of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And why they've never made another one. I know that Rooney Mara was supposed to be in second and the third. And and it didn't materialize. Some people have said that they preferred the Swedish versions. And some people preferred the... David Fincher version. I've never seen the Swedish versions. Eventually, I'll probably watch them. But I have seen the David Fincher version. And I have, you know, that trailer, when that trailer first came out, that was a teaser. 
and it was so well presented and then the, the finished product itself the film was so smoldering and so we're going to talk more about that but as always unpleasant dreams <laughs>